0: But we commence today's show with retired U.S. Army Major General Dana Petard about new developments regarding yet another U.S. weapons package or not to Ukraine. Congress remains stalled on legislation that would provide new funding for Ukraine. In truth, Ukraine's counteroffensive is failing in its goal of retaking territory lost to the invading Russian forces after an investment of billions, and I mean billions, of U.S. taxpayer dollars they're still losing. Ukrainian President uh, Vladimir Zelensky arrived in Washington yesterday for some hastily arranged meetings with the White House, the President, and Congress to discuss a new war strategy and to try to get some additional funding. No surprise there. Please welcome General Petard back to this program. General, how are you today, sir?
1: Hello, Travis, and doing well. And. I'm always doing well when I hear back and shred again by Frankie.
0: Beverly. <laughs> well, any, any military journal, any journal that, that, that likes Frankie Beverly is OK by me. Uh, so we are we are we in agreement about that. Um, let me just jump right in and make the most of our time here. Um, so Zelensky, president of uh, Ukraine, as I mentioned, is uh, in uh, Washington right now, came in yesterday. So clearly he understands the White House understands this is a, a serious moment. Uh, but Congress is stalled uh, on. Um, giving additional money to Ukraine. Let me just start by asking whether or not you think we should at this point, after the billions already invested, should we give additional money to Ukraine? And if so, why?
1: Well, I do think that we should support Ukraine, along with the other NATO allies and other nations in the world. Uh, the aggression that Russia has shown, in fact, the, the naked aggression in in attacking Ukraine, a peaceful nation, um, we can't just stand by and allow that to happen. And what Ukraine has been able to do is able to, in some ways, bleed the Russian army white, literally. Um, And uh, Russia's ability to attack others has been severely limited by what they're doing in Ukraine. Uh, Even a stalemate in Ukraine um, supports um, the at least – close to destruction of of the russian army and we're seeing that we're seeing what's happened with uh, finland and sweden coming to nato where for years uh, they were neutral in fact i've worked with the swedish and finnish armies in the past they sat thumb their nose at at, uh, at nato to an extent but now they want to be a part of nato and they are a part of nato because of this russian threat uh, so we do need to support them but at the same time uh ukraine has to be good stewards of that equipment and that support. Uh at one point they were firing as many as 20,000 rounds a day of artillery when at that time the US was only producing 5,000 a month. Um, um so uh there 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 needs to be some metering of that, but we should still support Ukraine.
0: I like that word metering. Uh and yet if you're firing if you're firing 20,000 rounds a day, we're only producing five thousand. I take your point about the the pipeline uh, that just isn't. We can't produce it as fast as you're firing it. I get that, but there's another question here. If you're firing twenty thousand rounds a day and you're still not gaining ground, you're still not. Uh, Uh, recapturing territory that Russia has taken, then it sounds to me like it's not just about money or weapons. There's a problem with their war strategy. And so that leads me to ask why we would continue to throw good money after bad for a country that cannot engage a strategy allowing them to win. Don't even get me started about how we keep printing money for Ukraine. I'm I'm literally going to talk, as I said earlier, in our second hour with Carol Burnett, who works with women and children in Mississippi. And you know where I'm going, obviously. We can't get checks written for that. We keep writing billion dollar checks to Ukraine, and apparently their strategy is not allowing them to win. I think that's one of the reasons why this is stalled in Congress, and that's why Zelensky flew over here, because he understands that the American people, certainly our our lawmakers in in Washington, are getting worn out by writing these checks, and there seems to be no sign of victory uh, in the near future. When we come forward, we'll dig into that. Our guest is General Dana Petard. You're listening right now, and we're glad about it. Tavis Smiley. This is getting good. good. Yeah, man. Tavis Smiley, Tavis Smiley continues mm-hmm. when we come mm-hmm. forward. Forward. <laughs> He's rooting for everybody black. Everybody black. black. More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Right now. We've got about 15 minutes more with General Dana Patar talking about um, uh, Ukrainian funding or not. Um, as I mentioned earlier, President Zelensky of Ukraine is in Washington right now um, trying to get his bag on uh for some more money uh and <clears throat> ostensibly at least i hope having some conversations with somebody at the defense department about war strategy but it seems uh, general petard that their strategy is not working and you can't disconnect that from asking for more money as i said earlier it raises questions about whether or not we should continue writing checks to ukraine if they cannot appear to be turning the corner and winning this thing your thoughts sir
1: well the strategy has got to be a long-term strategy mm-hmm. um and sometimes we in- in this modern age, won instant gratification. Mm-hmm. We have to remember that the war began in 2014 um, when Russia seized the Crimea, Crimean Peninsula, and uh, eastern territories from Ukraine. Uh, what people have their eye on the ball right now on is the uh, the attack. Um, in February 2022, on Ukraine, directly trying to take the capital of Kiev, which we would term that a war of annihilation. What President Putin tried to do was try to take Ukraine in weeks. That has been stopped, you know, by the will, and determination, and morale of the Ukrainians. With our support, they've been able to stabilize things to an extent. But this is a long-term war. It's a war mm-hmm. of attrition. Um, But again, do we need to support it like we have been recently? I would say no. But we need to support it enough to where our strategic in-states are met, which is the weakening of Russia, uh, which is sending a message to China that don't try this in Taiwan. And it's also helping to gel NATO around uh, what's happening in Ukraine. Mm.
0: Uh, What you said now raises at least three questions to my mind. Number one, how long... Uh, should we write these checks to ukraine at this level I hear your point that this has to be a long-term strategy but we've given billions already that's a lot of money uh and uh, when you say long term I don't know exactly what that means but again the appetite for this apparently is starting to wane in Washington as is uh and here you come now saying long-term strategy which means more checks more checks more checks like how 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 long how long should we write checks
1: Well, to the level that we've been writing them, it's unsustainable. Mm -hmm. It's just not sustainable. So I I agree with the folks in Congress who are saying, wait a minute, let's take another look at this. What will it take, uh, and how much more can NATO countries support with some American support but not at the level that we've seen over this past year and a half?
0: Mm-hmm. The other question uh, your earlier comment raises for me, when you suggest that we need to uh, stay engaged so that we can help weaken Russia, my my my, my point blank question is that possible? <laughs> is it possible? I mean, Russia didn't roll through Ukraine like they thought they were, and I hear that argument. These guys have had some fight back, and they've had some. Uh, they 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 have they've stood up uh, pretty aggressively, and Russia has not, as I said, rolled them over. And yet, I'm not so sure that the goal of weakening Russia is realistic what what do you mean by that and is that realistic
1: well they they've already been weakened Mm -hmm. uh, the russian military in this fight against ukraine they've called in forces from all over russia you know from their far reaches in asia um... to central asia
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and even into the the southern uh, Caucasus area they've called forces into ukraine because of how how devastating their losses have been so it is clearly has weakened the russian military
0: Do do we we have any idea at this point what victory looks like? Uh, So, again, you say long term strategy, but but my mind goes back to any number of U.S. excursions. And I don't even I shouldn't even use the word excursions. They were a great deal more than that. But you think about Afghanistan, for example, um, and what Biden went through when he first got in the office, uh, finally pulling us out of there 20 years later. And when he did it, they bungled getting out. And we all recall that it wasn't wasn't pretty getting out of there. But that thing went on for 20 years uh, and it got to a point that I don't think the average American knew what victory even looked like in Afghanistan. So I ask this question now regarding our support of Ukraine. Do we have any idea what victory looks like in this long term strategy, the strategy that you referenced a moment ago? I think we do, but it's there are different perspectives and viewpoints. One
1: is the only way to end this conflict is a diplomatic solution. Now, Ukraine, President Zelensky, does not want to end it until they get all their territory back. Um, I think from an American perspective, that is unreasonable. They're not going to get the Korean Peninsula anytime soon. They're not going to get the two uh, eastern provinces, Luhansk and Donetsk, back anytime soon, because those are Russian majorities. Uh, so Ukraine could cut its losses and, and keep what it has now um, in a diplomatic solution. It would be the U.S. pushing Ukraine to do that. That would be an acceptable in-state to the U.S. at this point, but not to Ukraine
0: so that raises another question uh the more you talk the more questions you raise if 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 we're the guys cutting the billion dollar checks and Zelensky is saying he doesn't want to talk about a, dip, a diplomatic solution until they get their stuff back and at the moment all the money we've given them suggests that they still don't know how to use it to get their stuff back then why do we keep writing checks if we're writing checks why can't we call the shots here
1: you know that's a very good question, and. You know, President Biden has gone and said publicly that he supports um, the objectives of President Zelensky. But behind closed doors, they're going to have to have a discussion Mm -hmm. on what is reasonable at
0: this point. Um, So you mentioned President Biden. So Zelensky is here, uh, as we referenced earlier, to meet with President Biden today and other members of Congress. What is the best argument, as you see it, that Zelensky can make to these members of Congress who are a bit skittish at this point about cutting bigger checks or more checks? What's his best argument to those members of Congress, and what's uh, Biden's best argument uh, alongside Zelensky to those members of Congress? What what argument do you think works at this point, if anything does?
1: Well, I think from President Biden's standpoint, it's from a strategic standpoint, mm-hmm. and that is if we don't support Ukraine. Um, are we now giving a possible green light to China to be much more aggressive in seizing Taiwan? Because um, the world is watching that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, there still has to be a reasonable outcome, which would be a diplomatic solution. I think President Zelensky's best bet, and he probably will not do it, but his best bet is to say, you give me more support. That will help me go to the negotiating table its strength um but he clearly says there will be an end state as opposed to a blank check
0: mm-hmm. you mentioned china a moment ago uh and we see all kinds of reporting uh here and there um suggesting that uh, there is a relationship that's getting more cozy uh between china and russia so earlier you talked about weakening russia so you weaken russia but if they become buddy buddy with china um (laughs) uh you you take my point yes
1: yes um and and they already have um china is supporting uh president putin and russia certainly logistically um they say they're not supporting it uh with military weaponry Mm -hmm. uh, but that's still a question it's also pushed iran into that orbit also it's iran it's china it's Russia and certainly North Korea. North Korea is absolutely supplying munitions and weapons uh, to Russia because mm-hmm. Russia's stocks have been depleted. Uh, Ukraine, or Iran is supplying drones and other uh, military weaponry to Russia, again, because they've been weakened.
0: Yeah. You mentioned China and how the, the the world is watching them and because we're watching in part because we know they have their eye. We're watching them. They're watching Taiwan. Uh, and everybody is concerned about whether or not China is going to try to overtake Taiwan. Are there other as we are in the holiday season? Uh, we know what's happening in Israel and Hamas. Uh, we know that Zelensky is here, you know, in Washington again, begging for more money uh, and more military aid. Um, are there hot spots around the globe that you're keeping your eye on in the holiday season?
1: Well, absolutely. Obviously, you know, we discussed one, Ukraine, um, uh, Israel, Hamas, but uh, we should be watching northern Israel with southern Lebanon mm-hmm. and Hezbollah. Mm-hmm. Hezbollah, uh, their capabilities, their lethality uh, makes Hamas look like middle school kids mm. um, in some ways on how Definitely dangerous, that is. Um, So that is something to be watched. And then Iranian proxies all over the place, whether it's the Houthis in Yemen, whether it's the uh, Shia militias in Iraq, um, and it's also uh, insurgents in Syria that are backed by Iran as well as Hezbollah, could cause us problems with our numerous uh, U.S. bases in the region. Um, At some point, um, we're going to get tired of the proxies, and give Iran a direct warning that if they continue to support that, that Iran is at risk. Um, that's something to watch for. And also, there's certainly India-China. Um, and that's why um, you know we're seeing more and more investment from companies like Apple, uh, all sorts of global companies, taking some of their business and manufacturing capability from China and moving it to India. Um, we're seeing that shift with Wall Street, as well as what we're doing strategically, and understanding that... Um, it's very dangerous right now between China and Taiwan with China's threats to Taiwan. Um, and, of course, there's still North Korea, South Korea.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: those are the most dangerous hotspots right now in the world.
0: Yep, You mentioned Hezbollah. Let me go there because there have been uh, a number of articles uh, increasingly that I've been keeping my eye on of late. Um, everybody's talking about Israel and Hamas. At the moment, we're not even talking about that. What we're talking about is what's happening on college campuses and presidents of universities who are losing their jobs because they couldn't answer a question or didn't answer a question the way that some wanted them to at a congressional hearing last week. So the UPN president, Liz McGill, is gone uh, I am happy to report <laughs> uh, uh, after, uh, after our conversation on this program yesterday for an hour about this very spirited and heated exchange yesterday um, that everybody uh, was a part of. All of our listeners, uh, people were chiming in. Um, but uh, word has come today, as many of you have already seen, that the board at Harvard has announced uh, that uh, President Claudine Gay will keep her job at Harvard. She is not, not, at least not at the moment being pushed out of her job at Harvard, never mind these protests. So she seems to be okay. Uh, The the, the, the sister, the first black woman to be president of Harvard, seems to be okay at Harvard uh, a day later. Uh, And the president, uh, Cornbluth at MIT, uh, no really no real rumblings there at the moment. So it seems like uh, McGill is the only one of the three uh, that they're going to get, uh, as it were, in this moment. So we're talking about that. We're not even talking about Israel and Hamas, really, over the last couple of days. That story has been the college, the, the free speech issue on college campuses has sort of taken, uh, taken the lead, taken the headline, as it were. But my point is, since you mentioned Hezbollah, I've been reading a lot more of late about Hezbollah. Uh, we're talking about Israel and Hamas when we do talk about it. But in northern Israel, to your point, uh, Lebanon, uh, Hezbollah is shooting rockets over Israel's northern border. And uh, you're hearing uh, more Israeli officials say publicly uh, that something has to be done about that. So that's a long way of saying that while they're inside of uh, the Gaza Strip, while they're inside of Palestine, Israel, that is, doing what they do, uh, the word on the street is that they're got to, to also get engaged on their northern border uh, with Hezbollah. And as you mentioned a moment ago, Hezbollah makes Hamas look like middle school kids, grade school kids, uh, the the, uh, the wherewithal that they have. So if, in fact, Israel decides while they're fighting Hamas inside the Gaza Strip to also start defending itself on its northern border against hezbollah. what happens in the what happens then in the Middle east?
1: Yeah, israel actually has the capability to do both okay they don't they certainly don't want to, but they have the capability to do both again hezbollah will be a tough fight um and if we're in if we're in support of israel um, we will have something to do with that in some ways, whether it's providing intelligence. Uh, keeping others like Iran out of it. Uh, but, but Hezbollah has more than just a regional reach. I mean, there's been reported Hezbollah um, sleeper cells even in the United States. Um, so Hezbollah is a big undertaking. Israel uh, fought Hezbollah in 2006. Um, even to the last day uh, of that fight, Hezbollah was still firing rockets at Israel. Mm-hmm. Immense capability. And That's when they just had... Couple thousand. They've got over a hundred thousand rockets now mm-hmm. um, uh, that they can potentially fire um, immense capability and capacity. However, Hezbollah does not want to get engaged in a full up, full scale war with Israel because Hezbollah will end up losing that um, and then losing their position in Lebanon, which is both military and political.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so, I I think that cooler heads will prevail. And that there will not be a war between Hezbollah and Israel, okay. but we will see what happens.
0: Yeah, from your mouth to God's ears. Let me close on this in the two minutes I have left. Uh, you mentioned, um, uh used the word proxy earlier, and it seems to me that in a couple of different places right now, the U.S. is essentially fighting a proxy war. Uh, you can't convince me otherwise. We are fighting a proxy war against Russia, given our involvement in Ukraine. We are fighting a proxy war against Hamas, given our support of israel Uh, and at some point uh, when you do uh, these when you continue to engage these proxy wars you get to a point where one has to consider whether or not you move beyond a proxy war fight and start putting boots on the ground do you have any concerns about that at all american boots on the ground and if so which of these hot spots do you think that's most likely
1: well i have huge concerns with that um obviously uh we've said no boots on the ground in israel because israel uh, can handle the fight with Hamas And potentially Hezbollah overall um, And Hamas is a straight up Terrorist organization that's running You know uh, The Gaza Strip uh, Straight up terrorists um, I'm concerned about um, The proxy attacks uh, By Iranian proxies in you know, At our bases in Syria And Iraq Where we already have boots on the ground mm-hmm. um, Potentially that may mean that we have more boots on the ground very concerned about the Houthi rebels supported by Iran firing rockets from from Yemen against Hamas and or our U.S. ships there. Um, we don't want to have boots on the ground in Yemen. Um, but if we need to, I mm-hmm. guess we, we would for special ops. Um, no concern at this point for boots on the ground in Ukraine. Right. Uh, we've, we've drawn our line there. We're not going to do that. Um,
0: my concern would be, Taiwan at some point yep. with Let, China. I got, I, got, I got 30 seconds left, uh, less than that, actually. Um, what, what On a scale of 1 to 10, what do you think the number is, the chances are, of us having boots on the ground somewhere in the world between now and Election Day? Because that, that would impact this election, but where, where do you think? What What's the number you think?
1: Um, I'd say the number is 6. Ooh. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's always a potential, yeah. and that would be in the Middle East. Wow. In the Middle East
0: region. Yeah, that would impact this election. Uh, out of time now to talk about that. But you start getting us involved in a war somewhere between on Election Day. Again, it, it affects things. Uh, he's the author of Hunting the Caliphate, America's War on ISIS and the Dawn of the Strike Sale. He is retired U.S. Major Army General, Dana Pittard, who I thank for coming on this program. General, happy holidays to you, sir. You too. Cute. Good to have you on the program. Uh, a conversation with the other Carol Burnett when we come forward on Tavis Smiley of Tavis Smiley when we come forward.